You're listening to Thinkers What Works podcast. I'm your host, Jason Todd, with my co-host, Alex Gary, and today, Royce Dixon, the author of Hidden Feelings, worry about uh, the issues that men face today that they don't want to talk about. Royce, welcome to the What Works podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So Hidden Feelings, tell, walk us through this book. What is it? How'd you come to, to, to deal with these issues? Basically, Hidden Feelings, is, like, I said, like you said, it's a fictional story that kind of deals with why men don't share their feelings or why they have a hard time showing their emotions. Um, from things I've learned throughout my own experiences, things I've learned just being working at the courthouse as a bailiff, you see a lot of things, you hear a lot of things. I work in divorce court. So you see kind of why guys have a hard time sharing their feelings or, you know, just some of the stuff you see socially. People on the podcast can't see me shaking my head because I went through that. (laughs) Feelings. What are feelings? No, I'm kidding. So, (laughs) no, I understand. So, yeah, men, men have a tendency to, to push away their feelings, not, Mm -hmm. not bring them to light. What, what were some specific things that, that maybe you experienced in, in your job that led you to this point where you wanted to deal with this? Well, you know, I see a lot of young guys, especially who come through and they don't have it. They didn't have a dad at home. So with the lack of a dad there, there's a lack of a male role model to show them how to deal with their feelings. So you see guys come in who've been hurt for one, whatever reason, they don't know how to express themselves. And so sometimes they express themselves the wrong way. I'll give you an example. I um, There was a friend of mine who worked at the had the courthouse with me. She retired and she started working on a bus. She was like a, just a liaison for the buses. And there was this small kid who's probably kindergarten age and he acted up every day on the bus. So one day the lady finally asked him, why are you acting out all the time? You know, what's going on? He said, nobody loves me. This kid's in kindergarten and it already feels that nobody loves him. So he acted out because he felt that nobody loved him. So she said, from this day on, if nobody ever tells you that, just remember that I love you. And she gave him a hug. And from that day on, the kid never acted out again on the bus. Wow. That's super powerful. Yeah. So this fictional story, what is this What is this story? I mean, obviously, we want people to read the book. But mm-hmm. what, are, what are some key points from the story that, that uh, speak to this issue of right. feelings that, that, that we have we don't want to talk about? Don't well, want to talk about? well, the main character, his name is Troy. And Troy's a lawyer. He, um, Troy grew up in a single-parent home. Well, his dad died at an early age. So his mom, was she she worked all the time, you know, to make ends meet for him. He, he was an athlete. Baseball was one of his favorite sports. So, But his mom could never be there. So he had to take on a lot for himself. He had to learn how to cook, on him, cook himself, you know, clean up after himself. He had to learn how to do a lot of things. And when his dad died, there were some girls who teased him. So... At that point, he found that he would never let another lady or another girl see him cry. So he learned at an early age to suppress his emotions and suppress his feelings. So that's kind of what's one kind of story that's in the book. Um, there's another one when his mom dies on him. His mom is his, his, his universe. His, everything happens around his mom. And when she dies, he, now he doesn't know what to do because he doesn't have anybody to turn to so his girlfriend breaks up with him because she, he won't allow her to come into his space, you know, where he's at mentally and emotionally. So she she basically gives him an ultimatum: either you you know you let me in, or we, you know we can't have this relationship. So long story short, they broke up. How long? So you've been a bailiff for how long? Twelve years. About twelve years now. At what point did you start thinking about writing a book? 
actually, I started thinking about writing a book um, about 15 years, 10 or 15 years ago. It was a book of poetry. I didn't know what to do with it, so I kind of shelved it. And then back in 2011, I went through a divorce. And I had just found out going through that process, and then I remarried the same woman that I divorced. So during that process, you're one of the eight percenters. I've yeah. done that. I've looked, I looked that up. Yeah. So <laughs> I kind of learned about my own hidden feelings, and out of that, I started. So I wanted to write a book about me and my wife getting divorced, being married, divorced, and then remarried. So I started writing that book, and then out of that book, I started thinking about all these different things, these hidden feelings, like I said. And so I started writing both of the books at the same time. If I would get bored with one or writer's block, I would just go to the, next, the other book. And so the Hidden Feelings just, is just ready before the other book came comes out. So I'm still working on that one, but Hidden Feelings was ready, so I decided to get that one published. So this is a personal story of yours that that it kind of encompasses all these experiences that you're having working in this as a bailiff and in divorce court kind of it's just it's a a mesh of a bunch of different things that i've been through or i've seen or i've heard um i use rockford as a backdrop so you'll see some familiar like blackout projects kind of core projects um just different things throughout rockford that you may notice in the book so, like I said, it's just it's a mesh of a bunch of different things that I've been through. You know, a lot of, a lot of people say they, they want to write a book. Mm-hmm. But to write a good book, you've got to be painfully honest. Yeah. Right? You can't just, you know, create a character who has no flaws. Right. You've got to put out, you know, real life. Is it, was that hard? I mean, um, if you're putting kind of your own experiences out there, the good and the bad, then you're throwing your life out there to be judged. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty transparent anyway, even, if, even with the, talking about my divorce. Me and my wife both, we were very transparent about what happened, how we got back together. That was one of the most painful experiences I've ever been through in my life. But now I'm thankful for it because it taught me a lot of things, and then it's showing me a lot of things. So hopefully I can help other people, and that's my goal for the book. So what is what is one of these things that the experience and then into that book uh, that you bring out? What is one of those experiences? Just opening up. Um I was always one of those people, like kind of like Troy, who didn't allow people to really see how I really felt. You may see me every day, and you may see me smiling, but on the inside, I could really be hurting. So I put that, that's kind of, there's a lot of me in Troy, the main character. Um, so I just learned that in order to be a better person, you can't hold everything in. You can't do everything by yourself. You always need somebody else. You always need some help. You can't do everything on your own. And so I think that's a lot of problems that men have. We want to do everything. We want to fix it ourselves. Sometimes you can't, and you need help. Well, and there, is there also the um, the image of success, right? Isn't that isn't that kind of a stumbling block for a lot of people? Oh, is yeah. that you don't want people to not view you as a success, and if they so if you if you throw out what's not going well, then you're you know you're allowing them to take shots at you, right? Especially yeah, especially in today's world with social media. Everybody has their own view of success. I'm successful whether I sell one book or whether I sell two million books. I'm happy in life. You know, with me and my wife and my children, you know, we're all doing well. None of us are rich. We're not millionaires, but we're rich in other ways. So I view success as just how, well, success is whatever you make it to be. It's your own perception. I went to a uh, luncheon today and the speaker, he's 
successful in a number of ways, but he had a slide there and he put success in quotes. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I intentionally put it in quotes because you we the word success is a loaded term. Yeah. Right. And yet it's it's kind of loaded in all the ways that success should not be viewed yeah. as. Yeah. So in in your book, the in your book Hidden Feelings, you're exploring this idea that men have a hard time dealing with their emotions and their feelings. Do you do you think that some of this is societal or is it socioeconomic or what are you, what have you seen and what's what's your experience? I think it's a little bit of everything. It's social, um, economics, um, like like the example I gave earlier. When you grow up without a dad, you don't have the typical role model, and if you live in a um, area where it's, poverty is real high you don't know who to look at so you look at the first person who you see as successful which may be the drug dealer or somebody who's doing things that aren't legal and you view what they have and that's what you want and in reality that's not success i mean because that can be taken away from you at any time i don't believe success can be taken away from me i can give it away but i don't think it can be taken away from me what do you mean by that if I, like I said, I, I feel that I'm successful now, even though I don't have a whole lot of money. You could take every dime I had, and I could still be successful. As long as I have my wife, my children, my faith, my church. You can't take those things away from me. I can still be happy and not have material things. Your success is based on what's in your bank account. Right. right. How, do you, how do you correlate that to this idea of feelings and not, not expressing those? Well, feelings is kind of the same way. You can choose to give your feelings. You can choose. Nobody can take how you feel. You determine whether you give it or whether you keep it. So in order in order to, I think, be happy with yourself, you have to be able to share. I had a, I had a psychology class in college, and it was one of the few classes I remember. Mm-hmm. Because I think when I, w- I was going to Rock Valley at the time, and I just all my friends were going to better schools. So it's like, oh, you know, I'm at Rock Valley. What's wrong with me, right? Yeah, yeah. In the psychology class, the teacher said, "No one can make you mad." I'm like, "Sure, you can. You can give me an F on a paper. That's going to make me <laughs> mad." He said, "No, only I can make myself mad. Mm-hmm. Only I physically can flip the switch to say I'm mad." Right. And that point, that that just got me thinking differently about things. Yeah, there's nothing anybody else can do. I can choose to be mad about it. Right. Or or I can just choose to let it go. It's always your own internal response right. to the situation. So to into the logistics of this book. Now you you have this kind of burgeoning thing in your heart that you want to get out there. Mm-hmm. And, I, and do you think that that's critical to to writing a good book? Yeah. You definitely have to put some of you in whatever you do. Well, for me, I'll speak it that way. I had to put some of me in this book. It was something that I woke up daily with on my mind that I wanted to do. Um, I went to bed, woke up late at night, you know, three or four o'clock in the morning, I'm up thinking about the book. Some days I would come home and I'm telling my wife what happened in the book. And she's like, who are these people that you're talking about? She's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking. <laughs> and so she would laugh at me and then she's like, oh, that's good. So she didn't even read the book until it was completely finished. She knew about bits and pieces of the book, but she didn't, she hadn't, she didn't see everything that was in, that I put in the book. Okay, so she didn't read it until until it was done. Mm-hmm. Were there parts in that when in that book? Were, are there parts in that book where you kind of said, oh, "I don't know if I should put that in. That might make her mad." No. Okay. No, like we 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 I think we're open enough now. We've been together over twenty years, so I think I know her pretty well that I can say this, and the way I say it, 
I think she'll be. I think she was okay with it, and she she loved the book. Because there are, there are people. I mean, that don't want any part of their life shared. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, why are you telling you know our friends your your you know our business? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that wasn't an issue. No, not at all. Like I said, even with our divorce, we we talk about it daily. Actually, it's part of one of the ministries that we want to start. Um, so hopefully, sometime in 2019, it was you know helping other couples, especially young couples, learn how to be married and to love each other. We got married when we were 20, so none of our friends were married. You know, you can't go to your parents for every for every answer. So it was hard for us for a while. But we, like I said, we ended up getting divorced 18 years later. And but you know, thank God we got back together, and it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So into the logistics of the book again we've got this this thing that's your experience right that you're mm-hmm. bringing out it's got a piece of yourself in this you're waking up in the middle of the night you're talking to your wife about it how long did this process go on it was probably a good three or four month process of daily writing something down i'm always jotting something down anyway but so this had, i guess probably been in the works for even longer than that i just didn't know it at the time i was just writing writing stuff down what was the writing process? Did you like say, okay, I'm going to spend a half hour every day, or did you only do it during inspiration? It was kind of more of the, the, during doing it during the inspiration part. Like I said, it could be at three or four o'clock in the morning. Some days it's at work while I'm on my lunch break. I always have my cell phone, so on my cell phone I have an ink pad, so I would jot down notes whenever whenever I could. So I would just write something down, and then come home and just try to spend some time. I didn't put a time limit on it. One day I spent hours just sitting at the table. I was there by myself, and next thing I know, I just started writing. Yeah. Is, uh, is uh, a book on your horizon of just uh, the terrible things you hear in divorce court? I just can't imagine. That's a fun <laughs> thing to go through every day. I've, th- I've thought about it. Um, I'm not sure if I can look because of <laughs> right. You have probably logistics. Tire, yeah. yeah, but <laughs> if, if you guys could, if I could write down the stuff that you hear, it would probably blow a lot of people's minds of what the p- things people argue over. Um, I guess I can give an example. I just won't give any names. I've seen a couple argue over the mother-in-law's picture. She wanted the husband. It was the husband's mom, but the the, the ex-wife wanted wanted this particular picture. They could have went out and got a copy of it. These people had lawyers that they're arguing over, spending two hundred fifty dollars an hour over a picture that would have cost three or four dollars at, at Walgreens. So it just blows my not, mind. It's not about the picture. Right, but, you know, it just blows my mind, the things that we argue over or we fight over once we, and with the same person that you said you loved at one point in time. Yeah. Now you guys are in the same room, you can't stand each other, you hate each other. So just to see people go from one extreme to the next, is, it's interesting. And are, are these some of the things that you're, some of the examples that you're using when, you, when that, you're looking at not people? Not in this book. Yeah. But there's another book coming behind Hidden Feelings. There's like a part two. Yeah. You talk, yeah. yeah you talk about um, not having the father there. There's also mm-hmm. the flip side of when the father is there and he's not the right role model. Right. I was right. sub teaching at Harlem and they, they attached me to a kid for a week uh, who's, who was in Harlem because his dad had beat his mom in, mm-hmm. in another city. So they took him away from his dad and gave him to the mom. Well, he loved his dad. Even though he watched her, watched him beat his mom, so he was dead set on getting kicked out of Harlem to so go back and beat his dad, and he treated every female teacher horribly because that's what he'd grown up watching. Right. You know, so there's uh, there's all kinds of angles about how kids grow up, and oh, if you yeah. don't have the right, you don't have the right role model. It's hard to be definitely. It's hard to get out of that. Yeah. You know, I used to coach um, basketball, and I, I still volunteer 
at the Boys and Girls Club at Blackhawk. So I get a chance to talk to a lot of young men, and you kind of see a lot of different things with the young men that come in. You see parents that do come, some parents that don't come, how they interact with one another. And sometimes you, you know, you kind of sit back and you think to yourself, man, if I finally could work with this kid a little bit more. Because you only get a few hours with these kids, and then they go back home with their with their parents. And so now you're you're involved in a, a group of of men who are trying to be positive role models, right? What is that called? I used to be. I'm oh, you're not, you're not. I'm not. That? I'm not with that group anymore. Okay. Um, but yeah, that that was the but that was the goal behind it. You mm-hmm. know, just to be a positive, give a kid a positive role model. Um, but also, I realized too that you can't just take the kid; you got to take the whole family. You know, because like I said, you only. Those kids only with the, with the mentors for a couple of hours a day, but then they go right back home and they spend more time with their families. So, if the family and the mentors aren't, if their goals aren't aligned, then the kid is going to go to where he's naturally, where he sees all the, what he sees all the time. So, I had a, uh, I left that, I left that organization and kind of started another one where it was more about family, mm-hmm. um, including everybody. So if we can help the mom or dad get a job, um, get their record expunged, um, resume writing or mock interviews, whatever we could do to help the whole family, I think it kind of trickles down to the kids. If you create better parents, you create better children. Do you do you think that that is one of the takeaways that you want from from your book? Not not yet, not in this one. Right now, in this book, just really just kind of. What I want men to see, well, women too, to figure out why men have a hard time sharing their feelings. Um, Why he won't say, I love you. Maybe he never heard it. Hmm. Or he never heard it from his parents, so he doesn't know how much to say it. Or he just figures, well, you know, because I'm with you all the time. Mm -hmm. So those are, it's more of a personal book right now. I think as the series grows, you'll start to see more and more and more of different things that I'll pull out from what I've seen in the community. So you took four months to write this book? About four months, yeah. Okay. And then how long did it take you to get it to the point where it was ready for sale? Um, probably about two, about two months. I knew what I wanted for the cover, but I had, I had to get it um, digitized, get it ready for print. So I had to send that off to somebody else to have them do that work. Um, a friend of mine recommended this great app. It's called Fiverr where you can um, pretty much pick and choose editors, whatever you need to help get your book finished. Mm-hmm. You can do it that way. So I did that. And then just the editing process kind of took a while because I wanted it to be real. I didn't want it to sound like it was something that was a fairy tale because these are real issues. So I didn't want to, I was real picky with the person that I, that helped me edit it. So she did her job. And then I had another person go back and edit it for me again. Just to make sure that things yeah. were kind of right. So that kind of took a while. And then after that, um, it was up to Amazon to decide how long they were going to take. So I think it took about a week or so to get their full approval of everything and make sure it wasn't plagiarized or anything like that. And so then Amazon um, came out with it, and I just submitted it to Barnes & Nobles. Really? Yeah, so Barnes & Nobles is going to print it. Um, you can pre-order it now on Barnes & Nobles. And then... Um, it'll go live on March 6th, I believe it is. So I'm kind of curious about the business side of it. Yeah. Uh, what kind of capital investment do you have, did you have to make? I put in a couple hundred dollars originally to get everything done. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of it was in the um, hiring the right person to do the cover 
but it's not edited. it's not thousands of dollars no, like it used to be we had to order a whole bunch of books and no not at all yeah. um especially going this way i self-publish yep so it's not as costly as people may think but it does cost you a little bit mm-hmm. and it costs you a lot of your time yeah definitely a lot of time and energy so what what are some of some of the key things that you've learned lessons you've learned maybe going through this publishing process because it's 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 kind of my estimation that a lot of people talk about writing books mm-hmm. right? hey I should write a book hey and now other people give you advice you know what you should do you should write a book and you're like yeah I should write a book and nobody does yeah. but the lessons the lessons that you learned going through this process must be pretty profound what are some of those lessons um, one is just the time that it takes to really write a book. You know, when I first thought about this years ago, I'm like, oh, this is nothing. I just write. I like to write. So just go ahead. But like you said, in order to write a good story, you got to put some of yourself into it. And I think that's the part that kind of scares people. You know? Well, yeah. You got to be honest. Yeah. Right? You got to put the warts out there. You're right. And and people don't like that. And I, I, that scares me. I've always, you know, I've always wanted to write a book, but I'm like, am I really going to put the stuff I don't want people to know in there? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I have that kind of courage. <laughs> and then the feedback that you get, because sometimes it's not mm-hmm. always good. So that was one of the things that kind of I was kind of worried about what people would think. Mm-hmm. And once I thought about it, I was like, what's the worst that can happen? Nobody buys it. doesn't hurt. I spent a couple hundred bucks. I did that playing softball for years. I spent a lot of money playing softball, traveling around the country. Royce is real good. He's better than me. No. I, yeah, no, he's, <laughs> he's better than me. We hated running, running into his team in tournaments. Man. Yeah. Hated that. But it, it was always a good time. But, yeah, um, another thing. Financially, invest in yourself. You know, make sure that what you want is right. Don't just rush it. That's one of my flaws. I like to rush. When I get a project, I want to rush and get it done. And my wife has to slow me down. She's like, wait a minute. Is it what you want? Is it how you want it? So there was a couple of times where I was like, no, it's not really what I want. So you're right. I'll do this over again. So you mentioned social media. Because another th- one of the things I love about Royce <laughs> Is you you know he uses social media for real conversation. You How's will throw that? out you, you will throw out questions and get two three hundred responses. Yeah, um, I got tired of seeing the same old negativity on Facebook, so I wanted to do something different. So when I first started my social media page, I always wanted to you know say something uplifting, encouraging, that may make somebody think about something being be- just a better person. And so lately I've been thinking about, well, what if we make people think, you know, and just start a dialogue, a respectful dialogue? Because we can argue, we can, disagree, we can disagree and still not go at each other, you know, calling each other names or something like that. So I started this thing called Let's Talk. Oh, I think, yeah, Let's Talk. Yeah. And so it just kind of took off. Every now and then I'll just throw out a question and it'll just take off. It'll, and, you know, I just kind of let it go whichever way the conversation leads, but at least it makes people think about something other than this normal stuff you might see on Facebook. Do you tie the lessons that you've kind of outlined in hidden feelings into those social media conversations? There's, there's been a couple of conversations that we had. Um, In fact, that's kind of how I kind of felt. I did it like a, put a feeler out there just to see how people would react to how men, do you think your man would, do you think your man is expressive or, you know, I forgot how I worded it, but the feedback was really good. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'm onto something. So then I just kept writing. And so sometimes you may see some questions or that I may put out there that may be in the book or the next book or my next project. Who knows what it would be. So from your, from your, uh, your research and your experience here, what's, what's the number one reason do you think that men 
don't express their feelings. They don't know how, and they're afraid to. Men are afraid to show their softer side. You don't want someone else to think you're weak, especially your female, your wife, or your girlfriend. Men don't want to seem like, um, yeah, like they're weak. So in order to do that, I'll just avoid the question or I'll do something that might start an argument just so I don't have to deal with whatever's going on. I'll, you know, I think that sometimes that may why you may see so many guys who box. This is a way for them to break out, to handle their frustrations. Whatever there's going on in their life, they go, they go to the gym, lift heavy weights. You know, we find ways to kind of deal with it. One of the ways that I used to deal with was, was playing softball. Try to hit the ball as hard as you can. You know, and spend a couple of hours. But then at the end of the day, you still got to go back home and face those same issues again. So you can't run from it. You got to gotta face it. So who do you who do you recommend this, read your book? I recommend everybody read the book. It's definitely for men. But I see you get one sells me. It's got possibly. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's there's certain there's there's certain audiences that probably should definitely read the book, and then there are other audiences. Definitely, it's like okay, definitely yeah. eighteen and up. Eighteen um, and up. Yeah. yeah, to look just look inside yourself and figure out why, because men, women have hidden feelings too. They don't always express or say what, what they want to say. Are you sure? I'm I'm sure. Um, in fact, <laughs> the, um, one of the characters, Jasmine, she's one of the main characters. She has some hidden feelings in there too. <laughs> so, what's what's uh, what's her go-to phrase? Are you all right? Uh, I don't I'm think fine. she has a, she has a go-to phrase. I'm Not fine. yet. I'm fine. <laughs> so, having having gone through a divorce as well, mine was two years, four years. Um, what I found was there's very little out there for men in divorce recovery. Yeah, you know, because it's it's like this cottage industry for women, and you know, uh, having to recover from cheating or whatever happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Although women end up, uh, I think filing 70 percent of the divorces yeah so in the end it's weird it, it almost it, it affects men almost more because they're the ones being divorced mm-hmm. and yet there's not a lot out there research or talk about their side of it so that's you know the, the fact you're tackling that subject it's a it's a subject that has that should be tackled yeah i think so too like i said i didn't know where to go when i got divorced um i realized i realized the day that i got the divorce that i was making a mistake but i was too prideful to stop it and I'll, I'll talk about that in the other book, too. I had a chance, three different chances to stop my divorce. The judge kept asking me because he knew me and he knew my wife. Are you First, he said, I don't really feel comfortable doing this. Are you sure you want me to do it? My wife was crying. I'm like, yeah, go ahead and do it. So then we, he asked me a couple more questions. He's like, uh, I'm just not really sure about this. Are you sure? Yes, judge, it's fine. Go ahead. We'll be okay. So he asked me a third time. And each time I, I wanted to say yes but my pride wouldn't let me. Pride is, the, I think, the number one killer of a lot of things that men do. We will let pride stop us from doing a lot of things. So when the divorce was final, she ran, she ran out of the courtroom. I felt like the lowest thing on earth. So I tried to go after her. So I go out the courtroom, and I can't find her anywhere. I'm like, oh, my gosh. She's, you know, I just really hurt her. And so I call her best friend. I'm like, hey, can you call Lisa and check on her? Just make just to see if she's okay, because she I know she's not gonna answer my call right now, and so right right there should have told me you're not ready for a divorce, but I rushed it. I knew how to you know do get everything. I had all the paperwork done. It was quick and easy. Most I think most people take about what six months to get your divorce. 
Mine took four years. Four years. I was divorced in less than three months. Mm-hmm. I think we filed the papers in August and was divorced by September September 10th, September 11th. I mean, the pride thing, I never tried to stop it, but I didn't help it along. Yeah. I, I figured if she's going to do it, it's it's her job, right? Mm-hmm. But I never threw myself on, on the mercy and said, let's just stop. Right. Instead, I, was, you know, I, I didn't go to court, didn't face it. Um, I just had this this thought, at some point she'll come to her senses, mm-hmm. which is... So yeah, you know, I never took that ch- that chance because what if I get rejected? Right. I, you know, I was afraid of rejection. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, there's one time I'll never forget it. We were both wanted to be with each other, you know, just being each other's company. I was in the basement and she was upstairs. We we're both watching TV, probably watching the same show. But because I wanted her to come downstairs to where I was at, and she wanted me to come upstairs where she was at, neither one of us said anything. And now that I think about it, I'm like, how dumb was that? We both wanted the same thing, but neither one of us would talk about it. So, again, when you ask me about women having hidden feelings, yeah, there was a lot of things that she hid from me then. But when I had to come back, she was like, in order for, you to, in order for me to take you back, I got to tell you some things that I've been holding on to for years because I didn't know how to tell you this because I didn't want to hurt your pride. I'm like, oh, my God. So then she let me have it. She's like, are you sure you want me to tell you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm doing whatever I can to get back. So I'm, I'm like, I'm listening. I'm, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to grow as a person and be, become a better husband. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. So when she started letting me have it, telling me everything that she wanted to tell me from years back, that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through. But it also humbled me because she taught me a lot. She taught me that. I never allowed her to open up really and tell me what she thought because she was worried about my pride. Well, you should talk to your spouse daily. We talk every night now. Someday she comes home from work. I meet her at the door and we'll just sit at the table and just talk. And she can tell me everything that's going on. If there's something that she didn't like or something I did and vice versa. So now our communicate lines of communication are open so much more. She told me one time, she, you're so much better than my first husband. <laughs> and I'm like what do you mean I'm better than your first husband I'm the same guy so it kind of bothered me at first but, but, then, she, but then when she explained it yeah. to me she's yeah. like you're not the same person that you were right. four years ago you know it's almost like marriage should be <laughs> shouldn't be allowed till you're 30 yeah <laughs> really you know, there's something yeah. probably to that I mean you know I went through a lot of divorce classes at, at Heartland and I, mm-hmm. one of them was with a good friend of mine that we played baseball together in college and it, it's it's the same thing. He was he's a quiet person by nature. Mm-hmm. He just felt you know providing and being there was enough, yeah. right? And so he you know he got divorced, and now I see him on Facebook. He's remarried, and he's just the most talkative, open guy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it takes it takes getting knocked down maybe to to get through it. Definitely. Do you think that there's something the to the the idea that expressing your hidden feelings is putting you, putting you in a very vulnerable position, right? And mm-hmm. and somewhere psychologically we believe that because we are so vulnerable that we could be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree I agree with that 100%. And once you realize that you being vulnerable you are not in fact destroyed. Yeah. That life just continues on. Absolutely. And you might gain some strength through that as well. You having def- faced it at least. I think you'll definitely gain some strength. And who better than to be vulnerable around is your spouse. Yeah. You know, if you may, if you marry this person and you love this person, mm-hmm. They're not going to use that vulnerability against you. In fact, they're going to make you stronger. Mm-hmm. Because where I'm the weakest at is usually where she's the strongest mm-hmm. at, and mm-hmm. vice versa. Well, awesome. I can't wait to you know, read the second one. 
Yeah, know? this is great. You know, <laughs> having completed one, let you know, projects are a big thing. So a lot mm-hmm. of people start projects and don't finish it. By just finishing it, getting it done and getting it out there and facing rejection and facing sales, things like that, do you feel like now that there's the momentum to finish all these other things in your life? Because you mentioned you've also started like clothing line. Right, definitely. Um, and because I, because I was spending so much time with the book, I kind of let the clothing line, I don't talk about the clothing line as much, but because it's, it's a lot of work, you know, there's not enough hours in the day for me to do both. But now that this book is out, I'm kind of, you know, doing the promoting, um, self-promoting right now. Hopefully I'll get some more promotional help from Barnes and Nobles. When this takes off more, I've now um, enlisted a marketing team to help me with Be Blessed Clothing. So now both can kind of grow and, you know, take on their own their own wings, so to speak, kind of take off. Well, Royce, uh, we'll, I think we'll look forward to having you on, on the, uh, some of the other promotional opportunities we've got for your clothing line uh, yeah. here, here in the area. But it's been a pleasure talking to you about your Hidden Feelings book. The, the second one, when does that come out? Uh, I don't know yet. Whenever Actually, I'm, I'm still, yeah, I'm still working <laughs> okay. on writing it. I, yeah. I'm just really into like the first, yeah. first part of the book. No, but, that's awesome. Yeah. And where does a person go to buy this book? Um, right now, if you want it right now, you can go to Amazon.com and order. Just type in Hidden Feelings and the book will come up. Um, Barnes & Nobles are taking pre-sales right now, but it'll go live March 6th. And hopefully I'll do a book signing out at Barnes & Nobles sometime here within the next month or two. Awesome. Well, Royce, thanks for being on the What Works Podcast. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. The What Works Podcast is a production of Thinker Ventures. Learn more at thinkerventures.com.